We are the people God has called and equipped to impact and change and influence our society and our nation. And why? Because we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. That's the kind of people we are. We are a people whose dreams are greater than our memories. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Over the last few Sundays, we have been steadily working our way through the New Testament book of Philippians. And if you have your Bible with you this morning, can you turn to Philippians chapter 4? And we're reading from verses 10 to verse 13. This is our final study in the book of Philippians. If you have been with us over the last few weeks, you will know that the Apostle Paul is writing around the year 60 AD. He is writing from a Roman prison cell. He has been arrested and is about to go on trial, probably for his life, in defense of his faith. And so we come to this final section of Philippians chapter 4, verse 10. It's page 1830 of the church Bible, page 1830. And we break in verse 10. And Paul writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any way and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Amen. And we trust that God will bless to us this reading from His Holy Word. Now, what is Paul doing here? He says, I rejoice greatly because of your goodness and kindness to me. And their goodness and kindness was this, that this smallish congregation the church in the town of Philippi, and today if you visit Greece, it's north and east, sorry, as you look at the map, it's north and east of Athens, and you can stand there. I had a close friend who was there less than 10 days ago, and you can see the ruins of the church at Philippi. And here was this small church in this large town who put together a collection, financial collection, and sent it to the Apostle Paul because they knew he was in need. They knew he needed clothes and food and writing instruments. He was in prison, and they wanted to encourage him and support him. And that's why he writes, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you have renewed your concern for me. And he's thanking them. That's an incredible thing for someone to come to you and say, I want you to know how much I appreciated what you did recently. Thank you. But please notice this. He goes a step further. And this is just not an expression of thanks. This is also an expression of affirmation. And what we see here in the Apostle Paul is a mark of maturity. 
Not just thanking someone for what they have done, but thanking them for who they are. For who they are. And he says, I know you've not had an opportunity to express your concerns so far, but now at last it has come and you've stepped up. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's what's happening here. And he brings them affirmation. Because Paul knows, of course, what we know. Who you are is directly reflected in what you do. Now, let me say that again, and if you're taking notes this morning, please put it down. Who you are is directly reflected in what you do. And here is Paul saying, thank you for being the people of God. I always knew you were, and he's bringing affirmation to them. But let me give you a challenge this morning, if I may. This is quite a challenge. It's not complex, it's not detailed, but it's going to mean your involvement. It's going to mean you're going to have to take action. And here's my challenge this morning. Can you think of an individual in your life, just over the next 10 or 15 seconds, who this week you probably need to go to, shake them by the hand, look them in the eye and say, I want you to know how grateful I am for who you are. Not what they can do, but for who you are. For the man you are, for the woman you are. Can you imagine the impact that would have on a single individual? Now, let me take it a step further. Put up your hand if you've already thought of someone you need to say that to. Come on, higher than that, let me have a look. Okay, now next Sunday I'm going to ask you, choir, musicians, did you look? Did you notice who was saying that? Take a note and we'll ask them next Sunday. Because it's one thing to learn biblical principles Sunday morning, to become excited, enthused, encouraged, but to apply those principles in the messiness and the distraction of your daily living that makes a difference. And Paul is modeling maturity for us, not just saying thanks for what he's received, but thanks for who you are. That's what's going on here. And then, as we have noticed Sunday by Sunday, Paul doesn't stop when he makes a point. He takes them deeper again, and notice what he says next. He said, I am not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Or in want. I have learned to be content. Some of you are aware, last Sunday morning was for us one of the climaxes of our stewardship season. And last Sunday was Commitment Sunday. And as I stood at the front of the sanctuary watching individuals and families come forward at all services, it was a very moving moment. 
because we had last Sunday 334 families and individuals stepped up with a pledge and said this, as for me and my family, I support the ministries that God is calling us to at First Press. I want to invest in all you're doing. I want to be part of a church that makes a significant difference to people you minister to. I'm excited about it. I'm committed to it. I want to be part of who you are. I want to live out my life in the messiness and distractions of everyday life. Because as Christian folks, we know we should raise our family with Christian principles. We know we should act at work with Christian principles, but we equally apply those principles to the area of finance. And it was a moving thing last week. In fact, last week, we had more pledges by two than 2015. And that was not a little increase, but we were grateful for it. But here was the significant increase. Those who pledged across the board had made an increase in their financial commitment by 15%. Folks, that is remarkable. What an encouragement that is for our elders and our deacons to know that here is the congregation saying, we're behind you. We support you. Thank you for your leadership. Thank you where the Lord is taking us. We want to be part of that. So thank you, thank you, thank you. That makes a huge difference in the life and ministries that we are involved with. Thank you. Some of you will know this, so please forgive me. During late September and during October, our elders and our deacons also stepped up. And they increased their pledge by 20%, and every one of them, 100% of our elders and deacons stepped forward and said, I'm with you. So let me say it again. Thank you for who you are, not just for what you do, because who you are is reflected in what you do. So thank you for that. But I have a question this morning amidst all of my thanks. And my question is this, how is it even remotely possible that he says, I can be contented whatever the circumstances are? Now think of that. I can be contented. The secret to contentment for Paul was what? It was what we've noticed over recent weeks. It's what we've been learning. It's what we've been focused on. His secret to contentment was this, not the circumstances in which he lived, but his relationship with Christ. We saw it that first Sunday back those nine weeks ago when Paul said, for to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. It was his relationship with Christ that brought him joy, unspeakable, overwhelming, outrageous joy, because he knew this, that regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the situation, none of this was a surprise to God, and God had him in the palm of his hands, and would not let him go. And whatever tomorrow brought was just fine with Paul, because God held him fast and wouldn't let him go. It was his relationship with Christ that determined his circumstance and determined his inner contentment. 
Someone sent me this a couple of years ago, but it was worth sharing this morning, and it reads like this. Sometimes we act like thermometers. We merely register what is going on around us. If the situation is tight and pressurized, we register tension and irritability. If it is stormy, we register worry and fear. If it is calm, we're quiet and comfortable. We register relaxation and peacefulness. Perhaps we should be more like a thermostat than a thermometer, regulating the circumstances around us, regulating the atmosphere around us, being mature change agents who never let the situation around us dictate to us, but allow our relationship with Christ to determine our circumstance. What a helpful illustration that is, because when we are confident in, when we are maturing and growing in our faith, what we bring into a situation, what we bring into circumstances makes a world of a world of a difference. World of a difference. From time to time, I will see it in the hallway here at church. I see it before the morning service starts. I see it after the morning service starts. When two or three folks are off to one side and you can see them engaged in tough conversation, and then inevitably someone will put their hand round the shoulder of the person they're talking to, and the heads will bow, and you can hear them praying together. And you can imagine the conversation of someone saying, I had no idea you were going through a week like that. I just had no idea but I want you to know I'm there for you. If there's anything I can do for you, let me know. And I want you to know I'm praying for you. In fact, can I pray now? That's what it means to be the thermostat, influencing what is happening, participating in the circumstance, but not allowing the circumstance or situation to be overwhelming, to do the opposite. Let your relationship with Him bring deep, lasting, abiding contentment. That's what's going on here. Now, let me give you a second challenge this morning before we move to our final point, and it's this. We said this a couple of weeks ago, and it's worth saying again, that on Sunday morning, as we gather for worship and open up God's Word, we do so because we believe it to be the Word of God. We believe that it impacts our lives, that it transforms our souls, that we hear God Himself speaking to us and convicting us, sometimes challenging, sometimes comforting, through His Word. But one of the difficulties we face is this, that Sunday morning is exciting, it's dynamic, it's life-giving, it's life-affirming, and whenever we study God's Word, we say we ought to and we should take these principles and apply them But on Monday morning, in the messiness of distraction and schedules and family commitments and getting to work, we have elevated this book so far that we leave it up there as ought to and should and forget to apply it. And this morning, as we come to our final point here, 
I want to make a plea for application. And the plea is this, that throughout this epistle again and again, you will have heard me say it multiple times, that we are a people whose dreams are greater than our memories. And that's been our dominant theme theme throughout this epistle. In fact, it's at the top of your worship folder this morning because those words dominate this epistle. Taking and applying and living out our faith day by day through relational connectedness, being equipped on a Sunday morning to then engage with the culture and society around us, to be mature change agents, not just to let society and culture around us change us, but for us to do the opposite, to influence and change and bring the gospel into the center of public life. That's one of our stated aims as a church over these next four, five years. And one of the things I want to plead with you today to do is this. There are passages upon passages in their thousands throughout Scripture that talk of the enabling grace of God, the strengthening of God, talk about His comfort. But notice what Paul says right here as he brings it to an end. He says this, verse 13, and if you don't have this underlined or noted in your Bible, please do that. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. Let me say it again because I don't want you to miss it. It's one of these verses that we should commit to memory, hang on to. It's a motto for the Christian life. I can do everything through Him who gives me strength. And Paul is not saying you can do whatever challenge or you can conquer whatever challenge comes your way because of your life's experience. You will be fine on the basis of your education or your expertise. He doesn't say any of that. What Paul understands is this. As he looks back on his own life, from that first day of meeting Christ on the road to Damascus up to these latter stages of his life, he can say this, I can do everything through Him who gives me strength, not through self-confidence, not through self-reliance, but through Him. And when the challenges and circumstances come, we rest in Him. We've seen that multiple times. But here's my final challenge, and it's this, that in society today, in a 21st century cultural setting, we live in a culture where sin is dark and distasteful and deeply disturbing. We see it, and we touched on this about three weeks ago. We see it in human trafficking. We see it in child abuse. We see it in alcohol and drug addiction, which blights and cripples and debilitates lives it comes into contact with. And if you look at the moral standards of the culture and society we live in, folks, please hear this. We stand on the edge of the abyss morally and spiritually. You only have to watch television for a single day to understand how far we have slipped as a nation. 
Our parents and grandparents would be deeply embarrassed by the trash and the filth that's on television, there for public viewing. Open up the internet, click on Explorer or whoever you use for your internet access. It is awful at times, and it has become the acceptable standard. And folks, let me be controversial for a second. And I don't want to be controversial for the sake of being controversial, so let me fill it out a little before I make the statement. This past Tuesday, when we had elections for a president, whatever side you voted on, whether you were Democratic or Republican or an Independent, the single greatest lesson we learned last Tuesday was this. We have a voice. We have a voice. We, the people, have every right to stand up and say, enough. We will no longer live with this substandard of morals across our nation. We will not watch stuff on television that's bordering on the pornographic. We will no longer put up with trash talk and lies and media blurb, spinning things whatever way suits them for their own agenda. Because there is such a thing as righteousness and honesty and character and integrity. And if the church does not speak up, who will speak up? Who will speak up? And we will continue down the slippery slope of mayhem and chaos morally and spiritually, and we need to stand firm. And we need to say we will no longer go there when it comes to the morals and the spiritual nature of our nation. We will not go there. And we can no longer, no longer give affirmation to the moribund impotence of cultural appeasement and situational ethics. We will no longer do that. But here is the real challenge. We do it as men and women of grace, gently, with love, but standing firm. And when you serve on the PTA, and when you serve in the group that looks after your housing association, when you show up for work on Monday morning, you're showing up with Christian standards of love and grace and compassion and saying there is a better way. We do not have to be like this. There is a better way. We don't need to riot. We don't need to be shooting police officers. We need to say there is a better way, and the gospel holds that out. Folks, if you remember nothing of last summer, remember Charleston and the nine who were shot at a Bible study, and the grace and the love they portrayed was because of the influence of the gospel. Now, we are not perfect people. We're not. And we raise our hands up and admit that. But we also admit this. We're not the people we used to be. Neither are we the people we want to be. But we're heading in that direction. 
and we will not give up, and we will not surrender, and we will not give in because we are the people God has called and equipped to impact and change and influence our society and our nation. And why? Because we can do all things through Him who strengthens us. That's the kind of people we are. We are a people whose dreams are greater than our memories. Amen? Amen. Amen. That's who we're called to be. That's who we're called to be. Folks, please hear this. For all of the thanks and affirmation we've been challenged to give to others this week, there are generations yet unborn who will thank you for this Christian stance you take. You have a voice. May it be imbued with the Spirit of God as we seek to be one nation under God. Let's pray together. Father, as we draw our time to a close this morning, we thank you for your, your incredible, outrageous love and joy that you give to us in our relationship with Christ. Thank you that you've touched our hearts and souls. Thank you that you've equipped us to be the men and women you're calling us to be. And may we this week, because of our relationship with you, stand for Christian values, to put Christ at the center of our lives, and once again, take a stand for Christ in our nation. Father, we pray for our nation. We pray for our future. We commend it to your safekeeping and ask, O oh God, that we would play a full part in all that you've called us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Join us as we celebrate the birth of Christ Christmas Eve at First Presbyterian Church in downtown Greenville. Service times are 2, 5, 7, and 11 p.m. More details at firstpresgreenville.org.